The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by the Reverend Dr. Craig Troxell. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. This spring we're going to be looking at that grace above all graces, namely love. As Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we'll be looking at the middle section of this chapter. But I'll begin from verse 1 this morning, and we'll be looking at the first part of verse 4. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 4. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Let us pray. Our gracious God and our Father, we open your word this morning because your word is life. It teaches us our duty. It teaches us your good pleasure. It teaches us about Christ. And so, Father, we pray that you would send forth the light of your grace and your truth into our hearts this morning by your word and your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there was a taxi driver, and he drove up to what was to be the last fare of the day. And he waited. Nobody appeared, so he honked on the horn. Uh, Nobody came. Waited a little bit longer. Nobody came. He honked the horn again. And he was about ready to pull away. And he had a second thought. And so he walked up to the house and he, he knocked on the door. And he heard a very, very faint voice say, wait just a moment, please. And in a few seconds, the door opened. And here in front of him uh, was this little tiny lady, easily into her 90s. And he looked over her head into to the room and there were sheets or the furniture, it looked like nobody had lived in this house for years, which he thought was quite curious. And so he helped her along with her bag down to the taxi and put her bag in the trunk, helped her into the back seat. And she handed to him an address. Can you take me to this address? But she said, could you please take me through the city? And he said, that's not the fastest route. That would take us much longer. And she said, I have plenty of time. I'm going to a hospice facility. The doctor has told me. I just have a little bit longer to live, and I want to go to the city one last time. And so he did, he began to drive, and first she took him by the place where she went to school, and then they drove by where she first met her husband, and then went by the, the place where she worked, and then this big building where there used to be a ballroom where she and her husband used to dance. And then they stopped at a few other places where she just looked out into the darkness, seeing something from the past. And eventually she said, I'm tired now. We can go. It was two hours later. And they drove up in front of the facility, and two orderlies come running out. They'd been waiting for her. He gets her bag out of the trunk, turns around. She's in a wheelchair, and she's fumbling in her purse and says, how much do I owe you? And he says, no charge. She says, we have to make a living. And he says, no charge. And without even thinking, he just he leans down and embraces this old woman, this stranger, 
and she just clings to him and just wraps her arms around him tightly and whispers in his ear, thank you for giving me these few moments of joy in the last days of a dying woman's life. He drove away and drove on for hours, knowing this was clearly the most important fare he'd ever given to any person. Now, the question I have for you is this. What he did, was it patient or was it kind? Well, you could easily argue it was both, right? He's patiently waiting and waiting, uh, driving this woman patiently around town, and yet what he's doing clearly is an act of, of kindness toward her. It'd be hard to separate those two aspects of this, of this act. And I think as we look through this list of these various traits of love, we begin with these first two, that love is patient and love is kind, that I think it's helpful to take them together. I'm not suggesting that this is what Paul intended, but I think it is useful for us to consider them as perhaps two sides of, of the same feature of love, that love is both patient and kind, that love has this, this passive quality to it, but also this active quality to it. That love is, first of all, patient, and that suggests to us that love has this passive nature to it. Patience assumes some type of difficulty. There's something between you and where you want to go. There's some sort of challenge, perhaps even adversity or perhaps even hostility. And so love, in terms of being patient, it has this ability to endure a trial or pain or suffering. That's why the King James, I think this is very helpful, says long-suffering as a translation of this. We think of somebody who's in the hospital, enduring medical treatment, and all the indignities that come with that, and the unpleasantness of being poked and prodded and never allowed to sleep. What do we call that person? They're called a patient. The same idea, enduring all these things. This is what love does. It forbears, even when it's pushed or provoked or mistreated or taken advantage of. It's like that friend of yours who hung in there when it wasn't easy to do so when you were down, or when you were not at your best, and yet they did not complain, they didn't lose their temper, they didn't walk away because of their patience. Love is not just bearing one another's burdens. Love means forbearing one another's faults. And so it shows us that the love that Scripture has in view has ballast to it, has weightiness to it, so it's not easily toppled. It has grit. It's realistic about this life and what it's going to mean, and that it means withstanding or perhaps overlooking a multitude of sins. But love is passively good. There's many times what love means is to receive an insult, to, to absorb injuries. And so it shows us that by passive, we do not mean that we are somehow lifeless in this, or that we're thoughtless doormats, or that we're doing what we're doing because we're intimidated, or because we have no feelings. That's not what we mean. Patience comes from this vigorous commitment. It means that we're determined to love and so we're going to actively restrain the words that we could say in response to this lack of kindness to us. We're going to hold back. This takes tremendous self-control. Love is patient. Love is passive. But love is kind, he says, too. Love is active. We could say that kindness is love expressed in action. It's the outworking of the goodness of love, we could say. And it's seen in the thoughtful things that we do for one another, those generous, compassionate Deeds. It's having a genuine interest in other person's needs. That you see those things and you do something about it from the goodness of your heart. Do unto others as you'd have them do to you is the golden rule. 
And so that means there's many times we're not just in a passive mode. It means that we get in the game and we comfort the sad. We're going to assist that helpless person. We're going to give to the needy. And in a world that is filled with ugliness and such harsh cruelty, when we do things like this, any act of kindness, it really stands out. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, For two years uh, in our home, an already busy home with five kids, we decided to get an exchange student for two years from China, Yvonne Yufong. And so one time we were taking her to the Chicago O'Hare Airport to put her on a plane to go back to China for Christmas. We got there, found out she could not get on her flight. The reason why is because she used cheapo air. Don't use cheapo air to get your airfares because you get cheapo service. But anyway, so she couldn't get on the, on the flight. And we look around, here are three, four other Chinese students, most of them young ladies, exasperated, unable to get on this, this flight. And one young lady in particular seemed to be really, really um, out of sorts. She had been on a train all night long just to get to the airport, spent the night in the airport only to find this news. So we talked to her and said, why don't you come home with us? We'll get you some food, you get cleaned up, get some good rest, and we'll figure this all out. And so we did this. We went home, and she got cleaned up. We got her some food, sat down the computer, got her, her refund, and began to get a new fly for her. And all of a sudden, she goes, oh, just like that. I said, what? She says, you are Christians. I said, yes, we are. She says, I knew it. And so she turned to your phone. She says, are you a Christian? And she goes, not yet. <laughs> and more skillfully than the hundred sermons I'd preached to Yufeng, she said, why not? I thought, oh, it's beautiful. But just this little act of kindness. And on the anniversary of that date, we get a card from Jing Li, this act of kindness. It stands out. Christian love shines in this world, especially when we do good to those who treat us badly. This is what is so important about this ethic that is brought out by Christ and the New Testament authors. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. This kindness for cruelty, blessing for cursing, this love for hate. This is what distinguishes Christians. Somebody has said pagans return good for good, the devil evil for good, Christians good for evil. And what is the result of this? Here is where we find the real triumphs of love. We are not overcome by evil, but we overcome evil with good. An example of this is recorded for us by Richard Wurmbrand. Some of you know that name. He was a Romanian pastor, a strong Christian, and he was put in the gulag for 14 years. And he records a story of a man there, a Christian, who was imprisoned because of his faith, and received several beatings, but this time the guards beat him very, very badly. And as he lied on this cot, um, those around him feared that he would not live much longer. The injuries were just too severe. But what's interesting is after that particular beating, just a few days later, one of these guards, his comrades, turned against him and accused him falsely, and they all beat him. And he ended up in prison as well, a few cots down uh, from this man. And this man turned and this guard and looked at this prisoner who he had beaten himself only days earlier. He looked at him and he said, could you ever find it in your heart to forgive me? To which this Christian said, of course. And this guard said, how? How could you do that after what I did to you? 
He said, if God can forgive a sinner like me, how easy it is for me to forgive one like you. And he got up out of his cot and crawled over to this this guard on his knees and prayed with him and led this man to Christ. Went back to his cot and died. This is Christian love. It's patience that passively endures evil, but it's kindness that lovingly, actively overcomes evil. With patience, we endure evil. Kindness, we insert goodness. With patience, we listen. In kindness, we speak. In patience, we hold back. In kindness, we get involved. Because love is both passive and it is active. So how important is this? That may be the question that you that you ask, how important is this? Well, we see this in Christ. We see it in his love that is both passive and active, and it lies at the very foundation of his obedience where we make the same distinction. We see this active obedience of Christ in that he perfectly obeyed and thought, word and deed, and all that he did. We think of what the law required. What did the law require? Truth, integrity, righteousness, mercy, doing good. And all these Christ fulfilled blamelessly with an obedience that came from a pure heart. And he not only did these things, Scripture tells us, he delighted in doing these things. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. This was his delight. This was his love to actively pursue the pleasure of his Father. And yet we also know about uh, the passive obedience of Christ. We marvel at Christ's patience, how he was so willing to bear the burden of our sin. Despite all of its agony, Christ endured the penalty of our sin, absorbing all of its sorrow, yielding himself to all this, knowing good and well what it would require of him, not resisting being arrested or tried or condemned or being punched in the face or beaten or being crucified. You see what the cross proves to us? It proves the love of Christ. That's what Scripture says, but it also proves to us that you cannot separate the active and passive love of Christ, no more than you can separate the active and passive obedience of Christ. Christ's supreme act of obedience is his death upon the cross, but it's also the culmination, not just of his love, but all of his love. The cross, the passive and active obedience of Christ, become inseparably united in love. Christ was faithful to the very end, both in, in what he endures and in what he fulfills. And so the death of Christ proves to us that his love is not merely passive, it is active. Because when we think of the death of Christ, we know that Jesus is not overtaken by the cross, he's not overrun by the cross. It's Jesus who undertakes the cross. He does not merely passively receive the agonies of the cross. Christ takes up his atoning death with a holy resolve. He's determined to pour out his life. And nothing's going to stand in his way, whether it's the devil in the wilderness or it's Peter whispering in his ear. Nothing is going to stand in his way. The reason Jesus Christ dies at the cross is because he wills it. Amazing to us, he wants it. He says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to raise it. I have authority to lay it down. Philippians 2 does not say he was humbled. Philippians 2 says he humbled himself, that this was his act, that he took up himself, that he's not dragged to the cross. He, he gives his life. He pours out his life. 
he willingly bows down his head in humiliation. Yes, it's true. He's a sacrificial victim, but he's not a mere victim because he's the priest who offers up that sacrifice saying, here I am, Father, to do your will. It is this active and passive love of Christ together that has won our salvation. Such is the perfect love and obedience by which we stand by faith in a right relationship before God. All of this reckoned as ours for grace and for righteousness and for life and for eternal life. It is love that carries out the law's commands and it is love that receives all of the law's penalties. This was the love that was formed in the crucible of suffering and yet it shined in the multitude of healings that he committed. Love that endured the reproaches of others and love that saw to the needs and the salvation of the same. This is a love that rescues us from the agony of hell and yet it wins for us the glory of heaven, as Machen said. This is love that endures and embraces the cross. More more amazing than that, it embraces us and endures with us such remarkable patience and kindness. Brothers and sisters, let us go and do likewise. Copyright 2020, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.